Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, today is December the 28th. Christmas is past us, right? We're, we're aware of this. And if you are like me, <clears throat> December 28th and the events surrounding that, there's some traditions that will take place in your house and in mine. One of those traditions that will take place in your house and mine is that we will begin to box up some of our favorite Christmas ornaments. The lights on the front of the house will come down and we'll begin to, to roll them up. The decorations on the mantle, the stockings hung by the chimney with care, they're gonna come down, right? We're gonna put them in some boxes. The Christmas tree that has sat decorated in the front room of our house is going to be taken down and put in a box. And why is that? Because that's what we do in the week between Christmas and New Year's many times. How many of you will go through the same ritual this week? A little bit, you're gonna, wow, a bunch of you are gonna keep it up, that's impressive. Um, I, I've had one friend in my life who's left his tree up year round. Um, we thought it was a little odd, but um, apparently this is a room of people, uh, compatriots with him, so I'm glad you're here. But you know, what we're gonna do this week is we're gonna come and we're gonna take decorations like this tree, and we're gonna begin to, to break it down and we're gonna put it in a box and we're gonna take it to our attic or our closet where it's gonna reside there for the next year. Um, and rather than watching me take all this down, I'm gonna ask if I get some help from the hoppers to come and kind of help us take down this, this tree here today. But this is what we do on this week. We begin to package this up. But if you're like me, that's a little um, sad. It's a little sad to take down your Christmas ornaments, isn't it? Part of it's because we, we like them. Part of it's because our house is pretty this time of year, those kinds of things. Um, but, but part of it also is because Christmas time is special in other ways, right? The, the decorations the, are symbols of a season of the year where people are a little more loving, where people are a little more kind, where people are a little more generous. Um, this is what happens around Christmas time. I dare I say that, that this time of year, people talk about Jesus a little more. Uh, people are even a little more Christian. Our culture is a little more Christian this time of year. And so we're sad when we begin to, to take down and, and box up all of our Christmas decorations at this time of year. By the way, thank you, Hoppers, for this. And uh, they are available for hire this week. Um, I'll share their information a little later on, but uh, no, thanks. Yeah, we, we, we box up, and, and you know, here's the deal. Sadly, um, for some, our faith gets boxed up this time of year as well. It's not just the tree that gets boxed up, but a little bit of our faith gets boxed up. A little bit of the active expression of our Christian faith gets boxed up at Christmas. And yet, that's not what God intended. You know, God did not send his son Jesus into the world so that we would have 24 magical days a year. God sent his son into the world so that we would have a relationship with him that would go 365 days a year, would go every year of our lives, and not only that, would go on into eternity. We wrestle with the question of when do we adore him? The, the answer to that question is not just during the Advent season. The answer to that question is an emphatic forever. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a section of Scripture 
that helps us understand how we can continue to live out our relationship with Christ and to follow him, some things that will help us do that even after the visible expressions of Christ are somewhat removed from our public sector as Christmas is boxed up and placed in the attic. How do we not put our faith in that same box and take it there? We're going to look at that today, and we're going to look at it from a passage of Scripture that should be familiar to us, a passage of Scripture that Bruce preached for us recently, and that's Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. Now, I think this is an appropriate passage because what happens this time of year is that many of the visible expressions of Christmas and of Jesus' birth get boxed up and placed in a closet or in the attic. They get stored away. And really, in Acts chapter 1, what you get is the visible Jesus who had lived out this human life among his followers is getting ready to disappear on high as well. And so what we see in Jesus' ascension into heaven after his resurrection, we see some things that are helpful for us to know how we can continue to live out our relationship with Christ, not just during the Christmas season, but all year long. And we're going to see that today in Acts 1, 6 to 11. Now, the events of Acts 1, uh, just before we get to to verse 6, is Jesus has lived his life. Uh, He died on the cross. He was resurrected from the grave. And for 40 days after his resurrection, he spent some time with his disciples, walking them through the scriptures, explaining to them who he is, um, spending time with them, giving them some direction. And then in Acts 1, beginning in verse 6, he's going to ascend back into heaven. This is what it says in Acts 1, beginning in verse 6. It says, so when they had come together, meaning his disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons, but the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Now, in these few verses today that we're going to look at, we're going to see a couple of things that will help us as we seek to live out our faith and not box it up at the end of the Christmas season. (coughs) Excuse me. The first thing we're going to see is this. The Savior is not stored, he saves. The Savior is not stored, he saves. Now, this is important for us to see and to remember because Jesus, remember in this context, had just lived out his earthly life. He had just resurrected from the grave and he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And it's possible for the disciples to look onto that scene and think that Jesus was just going to, to go and just store himself in heaven for a time. He was going to take himself out of this earth and store himself in heaven for just a little while. And they would just have to wait and wonder what they were to do next. But instead of them waiting and wondering what to do next, Jesus is very clear about his purpose and about what he is doing. What Jesus said was, he said, hey, guess what? I am not retiring. I am rising. There's a difference. 
Jesus was not saying, I'm going to take a step away from the activities of the world. I'm going to take a step away from my involvement and my mission to bring people and reconcile them to God. Jesus was saying, I'm not going to take a break from that activity. Instead, I'm just rising into heaven. I'm not retiring from my job. But what he says in chapter 1, verse 8, is that this mission that Jesus is on to reconcile people to himself is a mission that he's going to primarily work through his followers at this point. He's going to give the disciples a mission to to go and to share the truth of what they know about Jesus with those around them that others would come into a relationship with Christ. Jesus is not being stored away. He's continuing to work to save, but he wants to use his followers in that process. He begins verse 8, and he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's an important thing. In order for people the disciples and people like you and me, to be used by God in a significant way to share Christ with others then would impact them and cause them to trust in him for their eternal salvation, it was going to require something beyond human ability. It was going to require something beyond people's knowledge in their heads or their ability to speak with their mouths. It was going to take something supernatural. It was going to take a divine empowerment. And so Jesus says, I'm going to continue my work in saving by ascending, by rising, but by sending also the Spirit to reside within your hearts so that you might bear witness and testimony about me everywhere that you go. We know historically this event happened on the day of Pentecost. Bruce shared this truth with us earlier this fall when the Spirit came down upon the disciples, and empowered them so that they were able to share the truth about Christ with all who could hear in their own language. It's an incredible event that empowered the disciples, not just that day, but from that day forward. Began on Pentecost and continued. For us today, we we know from the rest of the New Testament that all of us have received the Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our lives at the moment that we trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. At the moment of belief, the Spirit has come. And what the Spirit has come for is not just for us to store it away in our hearts, not just for us to store it away in a box on the shelf in our closet or in the attic, but the Spirit of God has come into our hearts so that it would empower us to be able to give testimony about Him to those around us. The Spirit of God wants to work through us so that Jesus who has risen can continue His work of saving those in this world. They were going to give witness and testimony about Christ, and they were going to do it in several different places that are mentioned in verse 8. The first place that he mentions, he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now, that's significant because Jesus is giving these commands in the proximity of Jerusalem. That's the area where they were. It's the city where they were residing in. And what Jesus was saying was, as soon as the Spirit comes upon you, at that point, you will begin to be my testimony. You will begin to be my witness right there, right where you are in the city where you live. When the Spirit comes into our lives, God wants to use us to be his witness, his testimony, right where we are. For us, right here in Norman, Oklahoma. There's an opportunity to begin to give testimony to him right where we are. One of the evidences of the Spirit's presence in our lives, will do others experience a knowledge of Christ by being around us because the Spirit wants to work through us to be a witness to him. 
He says, not just in Jerusalem, though, but he says in all Judea and Samaria. Judea was kind of the state or the area, region of the country that Jerusalem was within. Samaria was the adjacent area uh, full of people that were at odds with the Jews over a variety of issues. But what Jesus was saying was when the Spirit comes within you, it's going to have an impact not just in your immediate circle, your immediate context, but it's going to begin to have an influence in the areas around you, in your extended network, as you live and go and, and, and minister in this area, there'll be people around you who are going to be coming to, to know Christ because the Spirit is going to work through you, the risen Christ saving the world through sharing through the testimony and the witness of the followers of Christ. Then he goes beyond that and he says, not only will it happen in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but it also is going to be a testimony that will be felt all the way to the ends of the earth this notion that not, not only are those who the disciples already knew, or not only is it going to be in the, the lives of those and kind of their extended network that they might ripple out to, but as they go and minister and as God sends them around the world, that the, the gospel was truly going to go to the far reaches, that God's plan was to work through the disciples to bring many wherever they were all over the world into a saving relationship with Christ. Now, for the disciples who first heard this, what was the end of the world? Well, the end of the world to them was Rome, or the end of the world to them was Spain. That was about as far as they knew, because this was written um, long before 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Thank you. There, the end of the world to them was, a, was about Rome or Spain, and what we see in the book of Acts is that this really played out in their lives as God moved the disciples throughout all of the region of that, the known world at that point, taking the gospel to the, the far ends of the earth. And, and I'm so thankful that though the disciples were unaware of the people that would inhabit the land known as America, uh, God was not forgetting us because the gospel would eventually get to us as well. You see, Jesus is not retired. He's risen, and he's working through his followers to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. See, one of the ways that we can avoid just taking our faith and storing it up in a box in our attic or in the closet is by looking at 2015 and the opportunities that God has given us there to do what Acts 1-8 describes as the mission and the purpose of the church, and that is for us to be his witnesses everywhere that we go. Now, <clears throat> what would that look like for us? Well, one thing I want to begin by talking about kind of in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in our immediate context, our network of friends, the people that we work with, the people that we go to school with, people that we play on sports teams with, the people that we see in our regular, normal facets of life, our, our family, our extended family, and those that they know. Within that network, what does it look like there? Well, the first thing I think that we could do in 2015 is we could begin to just take an inventory of your life, of those that are within your network. And, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to think through your network and think, who within my network that I normally see or, or come into some contact with, who in that network Am I not sure if they have a relationship with Christ? I'm not saying that you're going to make a judgment or a determination on whether they know Jesus or not, but who are you not sure about? 
Because sometimes in our world, the lines get a little fuzzy, right? We live in a kind of a world where a lot of people might attend a church, a lot of people uh, might have a Bible on their shelf, a lot of people might have grown up and had some experience throwing their stick on a fire at Falls Creek. You just don't really know for sure what the spiritual state is of a lot of your friends, and sometimes that stops us from sharing Christ with him. But I, I just want you to think through, not, not those that you, you know that person is walking with the Lord, but somebody you're not sure about. As you begin to make that inventory of your life, I want you to begin praying for them. And by the way, this is not something just for the, uh, the adults in this room. This is something for the kids in the room too. Kids, whether you're a student in student ministry or whether you're a second or third grader, I want you to, to think through your life. Who is in your life, in your network, in your friend groups, on your teams? You're not sure whether or not they know Jesus. Make a list of those folks and begin praying for them. That's, a, that's one step that you can do. And then after you've been praying for them, here's another thing that you can do. You can invite them to something. Maybe invite them to come to church. You know, we, we, we gather to worship more than just Christmas time, right? We gather for worship year-round. You can invite your friends to come with you on Sunday where they would hear about Christ and you would have a spiritual component added to your conversation where you could share some truth together, some songs, some, a message, some scripture, where you could have a co context of spiritual things in your conversation. You could invite them to come to church. Uh, but you also could invite them to a special event. You know, a, a family that maybe has kids, you can invite them to come to our family worship night that's coming up on January the 7th. You can invite them to come with you to that event. Um, but you could also go beyond that. You can invite them to come. Kids, you can invite them to come to Awana with you. Students, you can invite them to come to student ministry event with you. You can invite them to come to D-Now at the end of, of February, a student ministry event. You can invite them to go to camp with you this summer. Kids, you can invite them to come with you to Pine Cove Camp in the City or to our Vacation Bible School, which is happening next June. As you begin to think about these people in your life and in your network, one of the things you can do is you can just invite them and include them in a, an opportunity to talk about some spiritual things together. Um, you know, we might think, well, that doesn't seem like much. Well, that's kind of what Andrew did with his brother Peter, right? And that worked out okay. Just said, hey, there's this guy over here. Why don't you come and, and listen to him? His name's Jesus. God can use simple invitations like that to help People come to know Christ. So one of the things you can do is you can invite. Another thing that you can do is you can share a book or a resource with them. Um, one book that I love to give to people is this little book by Andy Stanley called How Good is Good Enough. Now, some of you um, are not big readers and you don't read a lot of books, but I found that short books people read more often. That's why every year in high school I, I read Animal Farm for a book report. It's a short book. Um, and so I like short books, and this is a short book. Um, you can read it in an evening, but really it's, it's a book that explains the gospel, and you can just get this and share it with a friend. I have a, I have a friend that came to trust Christ after reading this book. It's a great opportunity to share the love of Christ, and I've got a stack of these up here, and it's kind of like a Black Friday sale. The first people to grab one can get it after the service, but you can share a book with a friend. Or Lastly, you can, you can also just share the story of what, what God is doing in your life with them an opportunity to talk really naturally with those around you about the things that God is teaching you, the things you're a part of, the encouragement you have in the midst of difficulty, because you're going to have some this year. You talk about those things with others. There's an opportunity to be a witness to Jesus Christ in your local area, but it's also possible in 2015 for you to be a witness 
to Jesus Christ in areas beyond your norm. This was true of the disciples. They were to go to the ends of the earth, and, and we have the privilege as a church to also be able to be a part of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth through a number of partnerships that we have with missionaries from around the world. And you know, one of the great joys that you have in your life is just to be able to to, to pray for and partner with these missionaries around the world. I just spent some time over Christmas catching up on some correspondence and looking at um, J.B. and Abby Wendell, some missionary partners of Wildwoods and, and that my wife and I are a part of their team. And, and it's just so encouraging for us to see how God is using them on the other side of the world. And maybe you want to adopt one of those missionaries that Wildwood has or somebody that you know who is serving Christ around the world that you could begin to correspond with them and pray for them regularly as a family or as an individual. Perhaps you might want to get involved uh, as a part of what we call the 3J Network. On our website under the, the, the Serve Global section, you can find information about that. It's an opportunity to be able to partner with missionaries as they come back to the States with some, some basic resources. Or perhaps even you might want to take a part of your 2015 and go and serve Christ in another context around the world. While it has a number of short-term mission trips going to places like Nicaragua and Brazil and Latvia, as well as some domestic trips to, to Texas and the Missouri and to New Orleans uh, in 2015 that were accessible for you to be able to go to the ends of the earth and be a part of helping to share the gospel in those places. And if God is stirring within your hearts to be a part of one of those trips, you can find information again on our website under the Serve Global tab. There's opportunities for us because when the Spirit of God comes to reside within our hearts, one of the things that happens is that God uses us <clears throat> to take the message of salvation to the world. We don't just store up our faith, but we get to participate in what God is doing, saving those around us. The first thing, the Savior is not stored, he saves. But the second thing we're going to see is this. The Savior is not repacked, he reigns. The Savior is not repacked, he reigns. Again, the scene is Jesus ascending into heaven. It was possible for the disciples to view that as though Jesus was just, you know, he came from heaven and now he's going back going back in the attic. Maybe he'll come back again someday. What's he doing up there? There might have been some concern or some wonder. We see that come out in the, the verses and the correspondence that Jesus has with his disciples in this context. Verse 6 says this. It says, so that when they, being the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, that was a very normal question for them to ask. Very normal for them to ask that. Because in the 40 days after his resurrection, the disciples had become absolutely convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed so much that he was the one who would restore the kingdom of Israel. They believed that he was the one that would provide spiritual salvation from their sins. They were convinced. And so as Jesus began to talk and angle towards his ascension, the natural question was, hey, Jesus, you know all those other promises in the scripture that talk about the stuff you're going to do when you come? Um, are you going to do those now? Because that would be great. You know, the whole lion and the lamb thing, the, the whole reestablishing our borders thing, the whole kicking the Romans out thing, the whole peace on the earth, goodwill to man thing. Are you going to do all of that now? Because we'd really like for you to do that. That's really what the disciples were asking. They're saying, God, are you going to make good on all your promises? 
What's interesting is Jesus answers and he says to them, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. This is what Jesus was saying. He says, you know what? I know it looks like there's some unfinished business. But here's the deal. Story's not over yet. I'm not being packed away into heaven. I'm going to get ready to reign. There'll be a portion of Jesus' reign as Lord that he sits right now at the right hand of the Father, but there's also a portion of his reign which is to come. It hasn't started yet. Jesus said there's going to be a time when all that stuff is going to happen. It's just not now. Time has gone on now 2,000 years, and we're still waiting for that moment, but we still have the same promise that Jesus gave then. It's coming. It's just not now. That's an incredibly encouraging truth to us today because we need to be reminded that the promises of this God establishing his kingdom on the earth and and righting the wrongs of society and, and bringing evil to judgment and establishing peace on the earth is still to come. Y'all, if you're like me, sometimes you have a, you're at odds when you read Scripture. Scripture talks about peace on the earth, and yet we live in a world of war. It just seems like a, a dissonance. Psalm 103 talks about God healing all our diseases, and yet we know people who are sick. That sickness leads to death. Sometimes, as we read the Scripture, we're at odds with our reality and the promises we see there. But here's what we need to know. The story's just not over yet. Jesus is coming back. He he wasn't repacked and sent into heaven and never to get out again, but he went up there to prepare his reign so that when he comes again, that those things will be established and taken care of. Verse 9 says this. It says, And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Now, you might think this is a little interesting. I actually think the scene is somewhat comical. Um, The disciples are all gathered, and Jesus ascends into the cloud, and they're, they're just looking up at him. Now, why are they continuing to look up into the clouds? Well, first of all, they've probably never seen somebody fly up into the clouds. You'd probably stare too, so we cut them a little bit of slack there. But after they're staring into the clouds as Jesus goes up there, I think the other reason why they're continuing to look is because for 40 days, Jesus had been kind of coming and going. In John uh, chapter 20 and 21, Jesus is raised from the dead, and he appears to his disciples a number of times, sometimes doing things like walking through locked doors and then disappearing after that. The disciples, as he goes up into the sky, are probably thinking, you know what, he might return right now, and I don't want to miss it. So they're just kind of standing there staring. And, and so that they wouldn't just spend the rest of their days staring at the sky, God in his grace and mercy sends a couple of angels to, to fill in the gap for him. And they say, hey, guess what? Verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They said, You don't have to stand here staring at the sky because it's going to be a long time before he comes back. But when he comes back, you're not going to miss it. 
Now, the, the, I was trying to think of how to kind of explain this or think about this, and the closest thing I could come to, it's kind of a, a crude analogy, but it, it was that of a concert. Many of you in this room have probably been to a, a rock concert or a country music concert at some point. You go to this concert, and the band plays, and at the end of their, their show, they leave the stage, and, but they still have not sung the two or three songs you went there to hear them sing, right? And so the lights stay down, and what do you do? You start cheering and clapping, and then after a minute or two, they come back out, and they sing those songs, and then they leave. And they might do that a couple of times, but how do you know when it's time to go home? The lights come on, right? They turn the lights on as if to say, okay, don't stand here waiting for us to come back on stage anymore. It's time for you to go. And I think in a similar way, what happened at this point was the angels are like the lights coming on. Hey, disciples, I know he's been coming and going for a little while, but you know what? He's going to be gone for a little while. So it's time for you to go. It's time for you to go and to be a part of the ministry that God has for you in this life. Isn't that great? You know, the correct application of the fact that Jesus is coming back is not to hoard a bunch of cans of pork and beans. Um, that's nowhere do we see that. The, the, the reason why God tells us that he's coming back is because he wants us to know that he's going to reign, but in the meantime, he wants us to be about his mission on this earth. And you and I have the opportunity and the privilege right now as we live our lives, knowing that he's reigning, knowing that his promises are future, knowing that he's got a plan for all of those things to engage in what he is doing. And we can do that not just in the month of December, but we can do that throughout 2015. Now, I want to close by just sharing a couple of things with you. I've, I've been just reading this passage and thinking about it all week, knowing that we're going to be talking about it today. And the thing that, that God really brought to my mind and to my heart as I was reading it um, was just playing with this word, you know, that Jesus is coming back. And, you know, when you say coming back, uh, in our common vernacular of English, um, the one thing that, that that sounds a lot like is a comeback. And we live in a world that understands something about comebacks, don't we? I mean, if I, I grew up watching NBA basketball. Uh, Michael Jordan was a Chicago Bull, and then he retired, and then he came back as a Washington Wizard, right? We're, we're familiar with the idea of a comeback. Your favorite rock band, they sang and made albums for a long time, and then they maybe took a little hiatus, and then they came back, and they had the reunion tour. We're familiar with the comeback. We're familiar with that with our entertainers, John Travolta, Saturday Night Fever, then he disappears for a little while, then he comes back, and he makes some new movies. But here's the thing about comebacks. Comebacks are never quite as good as the original. As somebody that loves Watch, loved watching Michael Jordan play basketball, I pity the person that only saw him play for the Wizards, right? There were moments of, of, of flashes of brilliance, but he just wasn't the same guy anymore. The same thing's true of your, of your favorite band. You, you grew up listening to them, but they can't quite hit the high notes anymore, can they, in their comeback? Uh, John Travolta came back. He, yeah, he's made a couple of good movies, but he can't even pronounce Indina Menzel's name now. Um, there's just this sense where the comeback is not as good as the original. But here's the thing. When we think about what happens when Jesus is coming back, it's a, he's coming back. It's not a comeback. 
He's not coming back as a shadow of himself. In other words, we, we, if we were there for his first coming, we saw the good stuff. When he comes back, we're going to get what's left, the reunion tour. No, that's not the way it is at all. When Jesus comes back, he comes back in glory. When he comes back, he comes back to reign. When he comes back, he comes back in power. We have that to look forward to, y'all. We get to be there for that one. We didn't get to be there. We read the story of his first advent. We get to be there for the second because even those that fall asleep, like our dear brother Ricky or dear sister Ruth, even those who fall asleep before he returns will join him in that triumphant return to the earth. We get to be there if we know Christ. Tony Evans says this. I want to close with this quote, and then I want us to sing a song in response. Tony Evans says this. He says, The baby born of the virgin, laid to sleep in the soft hay of a manger, came not only to live and to die, but to reign in power and glory. Through Jesus, the God of heaven has set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor left to another people. His kingdom and his reign will last forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being able to adore you, not just in an Advent season and not just at a Christmas service, but the privilege of adoring you in this life every day of our year. And Father, not just in this year, but also for eternity. Father, thank you that we can adore you, not just on this day, but on the day that Jesus triumphantly returns to the earth. Father, we have such great promises and such great hope. And I pray that you would use us as a church and us as individuals to share your truth and your hope and your life and your light through Jesus in 2015. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.